I have to just kind of back up here for a second from last week. I had a, didn't, I don't think this happened in the first service, but in the second service, I told about my dog. Yeah. How many were here last week? So if you didn't hear it, you have to get iTunes, okay? Um, so I'm going to just tell you is that three hours after she had, had hit her with the car, she was jumping around like always. In fact, when I pulled in about three hours later, she was in front of the car and had not learned her lesson, and I'm honking at her. So just so you're all who, who are wondering about that dog, she's nuts as always, okay? She's great. I have to tell you one other thing that just thrills me, and I'm so excited about what God is doing among us and how he continues to move and to work, and that is uh, I had the opportunity, the privilege to spend... Um, Friday night and a good part of Saturday with about 90 of our men in a men's retreat and hearing them sing to God. And, and, and we had a, I, I see Jim is over here. He spoke for us. Jim Peterson, who has written a number of books, but more than that, has lived this life for a, a number of years. And, and when he shared, he just shared out of the authority of, I think, a life well-lived. And, and guys were, like, with him through it. And what was really cool, we've talked about, you know, growing as a multi-generational church. And, and I, I just thank so many of you in your senior years who have put up with guitars and drums and changes. And, and I know not always with joy. Um, but we see this heart for this next generation. We see more and more people coming in. As we sat around tables, at the tables, there was, in one table, there's a man who was 80 and there's another with a kid who was 12. As they would have the message and afterwards we had breakout sessions, there would be these table discussions of people, men, all different ages, sharing their lives with one another. Is that not what God, just bring great joy to Him? I just, so I was excited. You know, I get excited rather easily, as you all know. But that is one that I am very grateful to God for. Let's pray. God, you've placed, I think, a truth in my heart that I would ask that you would not let anything get in the way of as I speak today. Speak, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Open hearts. In Christ's name, amen. I want you to think for a second. I don't know where you're at in the story of your life. Some of you have part ones, part twos, part threes. Some of you um, have maybe ten parts to it. But all of you have chapters, right? There's chapters that are written every once in a while. You kind of go, well, that chapter in my life has come to a conclusion. And sometimes we know when they're coming to a conclusion. Sometimes we don't know because all of a sudden abruptly we're thrown into a new chapter, right? I want you to think for a second, what would your chapter be headed if you were to look at this last chapter of your life? Maybe you're in the midst of it and you haven't put a chapter title on it yet, but maybe you're coming to the end of it or maybe you're looking at one that just ended and you're starting into one. I, what would you title on the, on the top of that chapter? Just a few words. Some of you, that chapter may have began September of this last year, right, with all the economic stuff. And you may have started a new chapter and on your, your chapter heading it might be fear and anxiety. Some of you may have a chapter that's being written for the last maybe four months and it was because there's an illness that entered in your, your family and your life and it may be a sense of, of, of pain and anguish. Maybe for some you are just newly married and, and it hasn't been that long and, and you're still in this um, chapter of wedded bliss. That sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? And then all of a sudden you have kids and you're in, we won't name that chapter. But anyway, 
I don't know where you're at in that chapter, but what would you put on the title of that chapter? And then let me ask you a question. And you may be in a position where you are the first time or maybe you've come for a few times to a church and you, you don't even really get this whole thing and you're really trying to understand it. But you know it's about God, right? We talk a lot about Jesus. Or maybe you've been in the church for a long time. It really doesn't matter where you're at in your journey right now. I want to ask you this question. What would happen in this chapter or in the next chapter that's going to be written if you in some way especially said, God, would you come alongside me and be the co-writer of this? Would you be the one who would, as I work out my life, be the co-worker of this? What might the chapter heading be? What might it be? We're looking at Galatians. We get into Galatians chapter 1. And, you know, I haven't spoken this book um, before around this, and I'm just so excited as I study it. I mean, you get into this chapter in, in chapter 1, and you get to verse... 11, and, and, and that's where we're at today. And, and Paul has, has, you know, began this letter with a greeting, and, and instead of his usual expression of thanks and, and his usual maybe a, a prayer of, of, of blessing and love upon the people, he, he immediately says, I am astonished. He's just kind of like, I cannot believe what I'm hearing. You see, Paul had with Barnabas and a group um, as the church in Antioch was praying. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting, hungering after God. And it says the Holy Spirit spoke. And 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 the thing that the Holy Spirit said, which helped start a whole new chapter, not just really a, a new part in the, the life of the church, part two, almost in the sense of the church as it moved out of Jerusalem up to there, was moving into really part three is the missionary journeys. And they set apart Paul and Barnabas and and Luke went with them in a, in a group of these. Um, these followers were commissioned to go to the area of Galatia and, and take this message about Jesus, which they had begun to see having fruit in this church of, of, of Antioch, not just with Jews, but now with Gentiles, which Paul, who was the apostle, sent, was sent specifically to preach to Gentiles. And he starts to live out the destiny which God has called him to. And so they go to these Galatian churches, one village after another, and they would meet with groups of people that they would call together um, similar to this, but they would meet in homes. They were smaller groups. And, and as those people would hear the message of the gospel, and Paul would talk about this Jesus and the fulfillment of, of this Old Testament hope and promise and this person called Jesus, people were receiving and accepting Jesus and beginning to walk in this new faith and experience this incredible grace of God. And they would establish one place of a community after another community after another community. They came back and they told the people at Antioch, God did an incredible thing when He spoke and told us to go. Guess what? He prepared the whole thing, and when we went through, we see this wonderful thing that God has done. And then Paulson gets some letters and some concerns that actually come from the area of Galatia. And must be some people who are starting to say, you know, some, some people who have come from Jerusalem who are really closely tied to the apostles, the true apostles, Paul, not, not your wannabe kind of apostle stuff. But there's some people who actually came from Jerusalem, and we call them now Judaizers. They came into these cities, and they started to tell people, you know, Paul, 
He's a, you know, he's never really, he's not really an established, credentialed apostle. He's not, he really doesn't carry the same authority. He didn't live with Jesus for three years. We're coming to tell you because we meet with those apostles and we have a message. The message Paul gives you, you know, part of what Paul is about is he likes a following. So when he gives you about this gospel and tells you about Jesus, he compromises it so you don't get the whole thing. And he's about men's approval. And he really, he's really concerned more about getting you to like him and getting these groups around him so that he can establish the first church of Paul in this city and the second church of Paul in this city. It's all about him. And Paul goes, I am so astonished. I can't believe that that you would turn so quickly from the gospel that I presented that has the power to change your life and this God who comes in this gospel and speaks to you that you would actually begin to follow another one. And he actually says, if an angel came to you, and you know how when angels come, people fall on their face. And he says, even if an angel came and you were, you were on your face before him and he started to tell you a gospel other than the one I told you, you need to tell him to shut up and go. So it comes to verse 11, and I'm reading through this passage of Scripture, and I'm, I'm praying through it and, and, and working through it, and I have to tell you, preparing a message each week and, and trying to say, God, what is it you want to speak is, is not always an easy task. And as I was praying about it, because I really want God's Word spoken to me, because I want it to be fresh and real, so that it can be hopefully fresh and real to you. So I was praying through this. One of the things that stood out to me, specifically in verse 16, was this idea of this unexpected reality that Paul speaks about. And I want to talk about that in a few moments, but I want to share with you a couple unexpected things that also occurred before God spoke to me about that. You begin in verse 11, and it's this unexpected message that Paul talks about. In verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by by revelation from Jesus Christ. And underline that word revelation. It's important. This idea of revelation is incredibly important. Paul says this message is rather unexpected. In the same way, if you go back to verse 1, Paul says, in the same way that I have been sent as an apostle, which really apostle means one who is sent. He says, I, look at that, Paul an apostle, not sent from men nor by man, but what? By Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He, he says also now in verse 11, he says, not only have I come from God, but the message I'm bringing is from God. It's rather unexpected when you think about it for a second, because you think Paul would say, you know, I'm coming to you with a message that, that Jesus gave to disciples, and, and he gave the disciples, and I spent about 15 days with Peter, and I got that message, and, and I got to confirm that what, what I got. He doesn't say that. He said, I want you to know right from the very get-go, I've come from God directly. He called me. He, he set me apart. I'm here because of him. And the message that I bring isn't some handed-down thing. Look at what he says here. It makes it very clear. The gospel is not something man made up. These Judaizers are saying, I'm coming along giving you some kind of private version, that I'm coming along giving you some kind of human concoction. This isn't about man that he made it up. Secondly, this is not something I received from another man. In fact, this is not secondhand. This is even better than what the Judaizers are telling you. They're saying they're coming from the true apostles. They've received what they received from Jesus. I want to tell you something that's better than that. What I'm sharing with you is firsthand. It's from God. And then he goes on and he says, you know what, I wasn't even taught it. They're telling you that I wasn't the best of students necessarily. I didn't get it all. That's not the case either. In fact, this message comes from God. And the life we live, folks, 
is something that allows for you to directly be in relationship with God. There's nothing man-made, second-hand, or near, mere is it some kind of sense of teaching that you're getting some good rules to follow. I've talked to some people, met with some people in my office over the last number of months who are kind of checking out this whole thing of faith. They're kind of kicking the tires and saying that it's real. And they've told me that I've been here and I've been, I've been sitting here and I have to tell you, Pastor, that as, um, as I'm listening, my heart is like stirred. Something's going on. I'm feeling conviction. I don't know what this is. I go, it's that unexpected message. It's God working and moving in your heart, speaking to you. It isn't some man-made thing. It's not something that, it's not about me. I might be speaking those words out, but it's God by His Holy Spirit at work in your life. And, and there's a second thing he tells us here. It's not just an unexpected message. He goes on, he says it's an unexpected encounter. And he shares this unexpected encounter that he had. He basically says to them, so it's very clear that the gospel that I received, the reason it's not man-made, the reason it's not a bunch of things that I've been taught, some kind of rules that it really comes from God, is because it has to come from God. Because the only explanation for the fact that my life was so radically changed. Paul basically says, if you read this, I have a part one in my life. You know, my previous way of life. Well, let me tell you a little bit about it, he says. He goes on and he says, Here's, let me share with you my previous way of life. The reason you can tell that this, this gospel is what it really is and that it's true is because of how my life has changed. The reason Paul describes his pre-conversion life in verse 13 and 14 is to show us how utterly improbable that it would ever be that he would somehow be allured into the ranks of the apostles because these apostles were his arch enemies. You read it, he's telling you, if you want to look at my previous way of life, I was excelling in that. Why in the world would I ever give that up? To go around and to suffer and, and to do all the things. Why would I give up all that status and stature if it wasn't for something greater than some human man-made thing? He goes, the reason I'm, you know, there's only one adequate explanation for the fact that I've come to devote my life to the Christ that I hated and the church I tried to destroy, and it is this alone. I had an encounter with God. Changed everything for me. For you heard, he says in verse 13, of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely, I intensely, I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was in advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. There is here a great rundown of what I call the religious life. Part of one of Paul's life was religious zealousness. It was bondage to laws. It was advancing through his own power and strength. In fact, if you look at what he has to say here, here are the signs of religious life. He says, I intensely persecuted the church of God. Well, why would you do that? If you look at religious life, a person who's seeking to follow religion, one of the things that underlies most of what's going on in their life is fear. It's based and motivated out of fear. And many times it's fueled with anger. Because he says, I tried to destroy the church. Afraid and angry, the person who is in religion will seek to suppress and destroy those things that he's afraid of. 
You do all that you can to control, you know, do to control because you're afraid that if someone gets in touch with this truth, it'll change your life. I remember when I was in about seventh grade, I had the opportunity to go with a group of people. We went over to Europe and we went through Berlin, West Berlin into East Berlin when they still had the wall. And as we got on that bus and they looked at all the things underneath the bus and she went through all our luggage and finally got us ready to go into what I call living in color in West Berlin and then moving into what was gray and black. When we made that trip over, they had a very young, like someone in their 20s, who um, was an East German, and she spoke really, fairly good English. And she said, one of the persons said, well, why do you have these walls? And she said, the reason we have these walls is to keep truth and freedom in. The reason people put up religious walls isn't to try and keep truth and freedom in. It's because they're so afraid and they're so angry they have to go out and they have to control. They think that somehow if you give people enough rules and teach them how to do it, that somehow those rules are going to conform their life and that conformed life will look up to a way that will keep everyone from getting into trouble and God will approve. You know what? That's the religious life. One of the signs of religion is that you find that people who are into religion are... Just watch this. You'll find they're, you'll find they're more against things than they're for things. He says, I was advancing in Judaism, which is all about pride. So you have fear and you have anger and then you have pride. It's all about achievement, getting ahead, comparison. And Paul writes this, I was advancing beyond many Jews of my own age. I was impressive, folks. And that's what often happens in the religious life. The religious life is about looking at your life and comparing it to someone else. And you always, almost always compare it to who? Someone who isn't as good. Because you're not going to look as good if you try. You know, you don't see a lot of people going, man, I'm really following after God. Look at my life compared to Jesus. Hey, hey, hey Jesus doesn't have anything on me. Right? Yeah. You look at the person who, who lies a bit or steals or morally is a bit more depraved than you. And you kind of say, like Paul, I was. And Paul legitimately was able to. He was a standout. And so there's this pride of achievement. And it's all about measuring up. It's all about, you know, God's going to love me because look how good I've been. It's all about my love and my heart for Him and not about what the Gospel is. The Gospel is about this, pure and simple. It's about the love of God in His heart for you. That's it. What motivates the love out of your heart is this love that's in Him. And so Paul has this encounter and he says, I was extremely zealous for the traditions. It was legalism and it was following God, doing this and doing that. And religion is all about do. It's spelled D-O. What can I do? What can I do? All that I can do. Look at what I'm doing for you. God, God, look what I'm doing. And eventually, if you're really honest about it, and you get into that place where you're quiet and you know your own heart, you can never do enough. But the person who is into that is so blind to it. God comes along. This is the amazing grace of God, isn't it? He comes at a certain point in Paul's journey as he's on his way to persecute some followers of God, some children of, of, of Jesus in a sense trying to destroy their, their, their churches, their, their assemblies, going in and ripping apart their homes, allowing, seeing people being killed. And here's the incredible love of God. It says in that verse 15, But when God, who set me apart and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal... At a certain point, as Paul's walking down that road, Jesus stops him in his blindness with regard to the love of God... God blinds him in his spirit, so to speak. His, his eyes are physically blind, so now in his spirit, in a sense, he can see. And Jesus shows up to him. And he, and he just says, Paul, why are you doing this? 
Now, now think about it for a second. If, if I'm going around and I'm persecuting your kids, how would you respond? If you're, if you're destroying government property, how are they going to respond to you? If, if you're in a business and you're in a business, you're taking their, their funds and you're, and you're basically destroying that company's profits, what are they going to do? They're, they're going to go, hey, you know, hey, let's, let's just get along. They're going to throw the book. What amazed Paul so much is this an unexpected encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ who had the ability and the right and does with every one of us because of our own sin, our own, our own, our own desire in some way to, to measure up and think that in our pride we can, we can be good enough. And we get real with the sin and the pain that we've caused others and that we have caused even in our own life. We recognize God could show up and throw the book at us and He doesn't. He says, guess what? I, God was pleased, delighted to stand before Paul and reveal Jesus as he is to you. And he had this encounter with God that changed his life. Because if you look at it, Paul, in how he writes, it says, for you heard of my previous way of life. And you can just underline all the eyes. It's all about me, myself, and I. That's what... The life of a religious person is about. It's about me, myself, and I. How I persecuted church. How I destroyed it. How I advanced. How I was zealous. And then in the midst of all this, he has this unexpected twist occur in the midst of the chapter of his life and God encounters him. And now his whole focus is about God. Right? God becomes the focus of his entire life. But when God who set me apart and called me by His grace, when God set me apart, when God called me, when God was pleased to reveal, I want to share with you folks that when your life gets, when you begin to see this incredible grace and love of God that has been given to you, your, your focus of life changes. Now, let me just be honest. It doesn't happen overnight. Right? Uh, the actual living out in this process of becoming like Jesus takes time. But in that encounter you begin to realize how much God loves you. And so now it's not about all I can do for Him and all that I'm trying to do and all that I seek to do. It's all about what He's done for me. And I just want to share with you, if you're at a place in your life and your life is still about doing, 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 I just want to call you to the rest of what it means to stop doing and begin to just trust and believe in what God's done. And just to invite him into your life. It's a great opportunity today just to say, Jesus, somehow you've been stirring in my life. You're moving in my heart. You've been doing this maybe over the last few weeks. And I, I haven't let you, maybe it's into your life in even just a particular area. There's always been a room in your life that's been closed to him. And, and he's just been knocking on it. And he's knocking. And he's here today. And he's saying, you know what? I love you so much. It's not about my message. No, it's not about man-made stuff. It's God speaking his word to you because you feel it and you experience it in your spirit. It's about God encountering you so that you can begin to move out of all the doing, doing, doing. And you begin to rest in what he's done for you and accept that love and rest in that love. And when you begin to experience and rest in that love, he begins to start to change you. Now, this is what I was working towards this whole message. And if I, if I could just have gotten here, I would have been happy today. Because the, the next part of this is what just thrilled my soul when I was going through this. 
It's what I call an unexpected reality. It's one thing to have an encounter with God and understand how much He loves you and everything. But here's what makes, what makes following Jesus and, and living with Him and inviting Him into your life so different than any other, any other thing in this world, any other religion. It's what removes religion as far as the East from the West. And it's this, it's this little phrase, and I was reading it, and it says, and I read this phrase, but when God was pleased to reveal His Son, now, underline this, I don't know what your version says, but if it doesn't say, in me, you got a problem. Now, I, I went through this in paraphrases, sometimes we'll say to me, I actually looked at some, what I consider to be some pretty good expositor preachers, and, and one of them in the Twin Cities here, and, and even in the message that I had read that this person had written, it, it said to me, and I'm going, it doesn't say, that. in the Greek, it doesn't say that. In fact, I went to some of the scholars who are some of the best trained scholars in the New Testament, and I read what they said, and the word is in in the Greek, and it means in, and it's this idea of intimacy. If Paul wanted to, he could have used a word called dia, which means through. He could have said, he revealed his son through me, he didn't say that. He could have used another word, which, um, would you, which, which would say to, the word E-I-S, to or into, he didn't say that. He said in. And, and that just surprised me. I didn't expect it when I read this. It just caught me off guard. I was expecting to read, but when God was pleased to reveal His Son to me. See, that, that's still external. That's outside. He doesn't say that, although that may be true. Paul says this, it's not external outside himself, it was that which was in him. And you might be going, so what? It's huge, folks. It's dramatic. This statement alone sets some of the rest of Galatians up for you to understand when he starts talking about his grace and the faith and the freedom that we're called, the love that we're actually to live out in our life. The reason we can do it is because of what's in us. When, when you have an encounter with God and He begins to stir in your soul and you invite Him into the chapter of your life, the reason this is so cool is because you have actually invited God Himself into you. This isn't New Age stuff. This isn't that you become God. This is the fact that God has come a part of you and cooperates with you now to do the very things you could never do on your own. And, and, and what's so cool about this, as I read this, the focus now is on Jesus who lives in me. And, and it's, it's about... It's not about religion, but it's about a relationship. And not even a relationship that's outside of me. It's a relationship of a God who's in me. And it's what Paul was so excited about in Colossians, in verses 27, 4-27. He, in Colossians, he's speaking to the Gentiles here for a moment. He says, the mystery has been kept hidden, now disclosed. He's talking about revelation again. And he says, to them God has chosen, verse 27, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I, I realize for some of you to go off, this is really good, I'm really glad you're excited about this, Kevin, but <laughs> still don't quite get it. I used to read that phrase, Christ of, you know, which is Christ in me, the hope of glory, and I, I didn't get it. I didn't get it until a couple of years ago, and when I began to understand that so much of what the church has done, even evangelical church too, is we, we, we know about God the Father, and we, we know about Jesus Christ, but we just don't know as much about the Holy Spirit. We've been afraid of the Spirit because we, you know, we're always reacting. We don't want to go this direction to be like them or be like this. And I just, I remember one time talking to the president of Trinity Seminary, and he was telling me, you know, about half of the students, or maybe a third of them, are either Pentecostal Charismatic at Trinity now, and then they have Presbyterians, they have all these different groups. And he said, you know, what do you think of that movement? And I said, you know, I don't really care about labels. I want one thing in my life, and that's to follow the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. 
And that's what we're about, folks. We are not about, well, how do they do it here? How do you, you know, it, we have one thing and that's one thing only. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And as Christ speaks to our heart, we respond to it and we do it. As a church and individually. And that won't look like other churches and that may not look like the world that we're used to. But it will look like the way God wants it to be. See, one of the problems that we have when we try and live by everybody else and you live in this religious system is we always are trying to compare ourselves to people, right? We're always looking at someone else and we're measuring ourselves up. In fact, Peter even had that problem. After Jesus died, resurrected, met with Peter, was reinstating him, walking with him along the beach, he talks to Peter and he goes, Peter, and he puts his arm on Peter and he goes, Peter, and he starts telling Peter how he's going to die. It's not a pretty sight how Peter's going to die. Peter's listening and Peter looks, he sees John behind him and he says to Jesus, he goes, Jesus, well, what about John? <laughs> I think this is so funny because um, Jesus almost in a snotty way says, you know, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. Folks, if we could quit looking at everybody else, or are they following the lines just right? Are they coloring with it? If we could look at what God is saying to us and follow Him and let other people have freedom by the conscience and by the Holy Spirit living in them, because Christ is in us, we would see God do unbelievable things. And, and here, this is what I get really pumped up about. Our life with God, is about Jesus living in us. It's about Jesus speaking directly to you, each and every one of us. And if you're in relationship with someone, you don't hear something from them once every month, right? That would be a tough marriage to be in. Well, maybe you'd like it. I don't know. God is as real as the person sitting next to you. There may be times He's quiet, and there may be times He says things, and there, but I've got to promise you this, that when you get intimate with God, you hear God a lot more than you ever realized you could hear. And one of the things that God wants us to learn is that we're not to live on the faith of a pastor and the life that he has and intimacy that he has. You're not to live on the faith of some kind of teacher who teaches you in one of your classes and the intimacy that they have. You're not to live on the enemy of some other person who is a, a good Bible preacher, teacher that you listen to on the radio. You're not to listen to the intimacy of a friend of yours. It's good to love that and to know that and be exposed to it. It can encourage you. But you have your own intimate walk with God. And, and we are constantly... Borrowing on, second-handing, making man-made stuff, taking their stuff and making it ours. And I have to tell you, the Word of God is so incredibly clear. Paul is so clear. He wants to make it so clear for them. He wants the Galatians to live this way, and he wants us to live this way. And that it is a real faith, not man-made up. It is direct from God. It is Him speaking to us, and Him working with us, and Him talking to us, and us walking with Him. And when, when we are in this kind of relationship where we intimately begin to hear God and move with God and begin to, to walk according to the promptings of His Spirit within us, and if we as a church began to worship with all our hearts and fasted hungering for God more than anything else, and we listened so the Holy Spirit could speak, so He could do things like sending people to Galatia that changed the world, it would, we, our world would be rocked. And, and I, get, I get so excited about this because here's, here's, here's the reality of this teaching. Let me just teach you just a little bit more here. Our life with God is far from the religion that we all have become accustomed to. Our life with God is so far removed from the east to the west with regard to religion. It is about 
revealing of Christ in me so that I can begin to walk with Him and hear Him and be guided by Him. It's about the Holy Spirit no longer coming in Jesus and God living in a building and a temple. It's about God living in me. It's no longer about a law that I just read about and I hope I can follow. It's about a law written in my heart. It's no longer about wanting to hopefully love like that. It's about a God in me who has placed new desires that begins to show itself in love towards others. In no law can control and guide that kind of behavior. And, and you and I don't have the ability to do it ourselves. And that's why I get so excited when I read. And don't ever change it. He was pleased. He was delighted. He's so thrilled with you to be able to reveal to you His Son in you. And Jesus was all about this, folks. At one point, Jesus is, is um, looking at His disciples. He's got the twelve around them. And it, it's, you know probably about a year and a half or so into their ministry and his ministry with them. And he's at this point hoping they know who he is. And he, and he turns to them and he says, um, okay, guys, who do you think I am? Who, who do the people say I am? And a few of them offer a few suggestions. And finally, Peter makes this point. He, he, he says, uh, Jesus, I think I know. And he goes, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, you're, you're the Christ. And Jesus gets really pumped. He's really excited. He turns to Peter and he says, Blessed are you, Simon. Now, listen to this. For this was not revealed revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And, and then Jesus goes on and makes this famous declaration. And I tell you, Peter, Petros, which means rock. Upon this rock, Peter, this play on words, I will build my church. And and here's the truth. The gates of Haiti will never be able to stand against it. All hell cannot stand against this truth. And what is this truth? Well, throughout history, the Catholics began and they said, well, the rock that they're talking about is Peter because Peter was the rock that's playing words. And, and so Peter was the first father of the Pope. And, and then now we have the next Pope. And so we have this established sense of tradition and this apostolic succession. I think Jesus was making a play on words, and I think he said, yes, upon Peter, yeah, I'll build my church. But I don't think he was talking about apostolic succession and tradition. Well, the Protestant church comes along, and Luther has to come, and he looks at this passage, and Luther says, oh, you know what, the rock doesn't mean apostolic succession, although it may be that it's on Peter, this first disciple, that he began to build the church, which happened in Acts at Pentecost. But he goes, no, it's upon his confession of faith, right? That's what the church is built on. It really doesn't even say that, folks. Read the words for yourself. You are blessed, for this was revealed to you not by man, but who? By my Father. I really believe that God has called us to know and to understand Christ in us, guiding us, living within us, loving within us, doing all these things, changing us, because we are this new creation that has been created by Christ who is in us, and this Christ who begins to speak to us, and it is the revelation, the unveiling as we walk with Him of the Word of God, which often comes through His Word primarily, but it is the Word of God alive and real to me in the moment as I live this life, in this intimate life, that nothing in this world can stand against. Nothing. And, and so you, you see, we always are trying to give that responsibility away. Moses went up into the mountain and the people said, no, you go up for us, Moses. 
God intended for all His people to have direct encounter and experience and to live by His voice. Always intended it, but the people said, no, Moses, you go up and you do it for us. So Jesus comes along. He trains 12 disciples. The 12 disciples, after Jesus dies, is resurrected and ascended. They start going throughout the city. And what do they note about the disciples? They go, they're not trained. They're not schooled. They've been with who? With Jesus. And so what you find here, and I'll close with this. He says, I've given this message to preach to the Gentiles, and I didn't consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see who those apostles were before I was. I went immediately to Arabia and later to Damascus. And it seems so counterintuitive. You think about it. If you're building a resume to give to someone, wouldn't you want to go and get trained by the best of the best and talk about I mean, wouldn't you want to say, you know, I was trained at Harvard, I went to MIT, and I worked for a while for Jack Welch. And, you know, you'd throw all these names out there, right? <laughs> he says, that's the opposite. I had an encounter with God. God was revealed in me. I began to hear His voice, and I went into Arabia so I could get a hold of that and really understand it. And I began to measure that against the Old Testament and understand what this all is about. And I established this voice in me. And I just want to call us people to a deep sense of intimacy where we walk with God and we measure ourselves not by anyone else, but by the love that is in Jesus Christ. And we release that love in others. And I can tell you, if you do that, the next chapter of your life is going to be rather unexpected if you invite God into you to do this and you begin to get intimate with him and you let him begin to rule. Because think about it. Who would have ever... I think this is so unexpected, this impact of Paul. If you were to choose someone to write most of the books of the Bible, who would he be chosen? You probably would have chosen someone who spent three years with Jesus, correct? <laughs> you know who God chooses? For his sovereign purposes, I don't know all the reasons, but I know he always chooses people who say, I want to know you and be intimate with you and hear your voice and walk according to that. I don't care what anyone else says. As I walk according to your voice, listen to your word, and I'm in a relationship with people who are humble and hungry, and I put myself in that kind of position. Your next chapter, folks, our next chapter, will be different and more impactful than we could ever, ever imagine.